Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. And today I am joined by the OG podcaster himself, Paul Boag. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hello. OG. I, again, yes. instantly I'm now out of my depth. OG is <laughs> is not a phrase that I'm uh, uh, familiar with. What does OG mean? Original gangster. You Original were... gangster. Oh, that's see, far too, far too other side of the pond for me. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so for, for folks who don't know, uh, Paul and Marcus Lillington started a podcast in uh, what year? 2005. Mm, so that's crazy. So uh, that and that was the first podcast I ever listened to. Uh, it, it's not the first one I ever heard of. I had heard of a couple of other ones that were sort of like husband and wife talking about husband and wife stuff that like. Um, but somehow I got turned on to Boag World. I don't even know where I would have heard of it because back then podcasting, it was still like iPod era podcasting. It was before the yeah. iPhone. Did you get, did you happen to get um, .NET magazine or whatever? It was called something else back then. Um, was there was a web possible. design magazine. They put us on the cover. They, they had, in the days where you had CD-ROMs on the covers of, <laughs> of magazines. And, and so, yeah, we were, we were on there for a while. And I think we picked up quite a lot of listeners that way. But they, it, it was amazing. There were no other web design or digital related podcasts. That just blew my mind. The fact that there was a podcast on knitting... Yeah. But not on web design, just felt really offensive. So I had to do something about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and boy, did you. I mean, that was like, I mentioned Boag World and I got a, a bunch of email back. Like that was the first podcast I yeah. like fell in love with or whatever. <laughs> um, I remember the intro, you guys changed your intro from time to time, but there was yeah. one where you had, a, you captured a guest who, uh, there's a snippet of a guest saying, I feel like I'm on Letterman. <laughs> and it, it was... <laughs> It was like that. It was like that. It was like the big show for web people. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So well, it was it was part of that era, wasn't there? There was there was a period of time when the web felt very rock and roll, didn't it? Um, mm -hmm. or, or we like to think that we were rock and roll before yeah. before it all became commercialized, man. Um, <laughs> and and because there was such limited choice. You know, it became quite big quite quickly. I mean, these days it would be impossible to build a web design podcast at that kind of scale simply because there are so many of them there. It's a bit like mm -hmm. in the UK, you know, for my entire childhood, there were three TV channels and that was it. So, you know, viewer numbers on any particular program were enormous because, you know, people didn't have any choice. Right. Yeah, same here. Well, so... so I, today we want to catch. I just kind of want to catch up, really, but also sure. to kind of get your. I mean, I, I. It seems like every year is like this is the year that podcasting really hits the mainstream, but it, it does keep growing like crazy. And I still think, even though it's much more saturated than it was in two thousand and five, that people, businesses especially, can get a, an enormous amount of benefit out of mm. uh, being in somebody's earbuds every week for an hour. So. What was your experience really, with it? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Uh, it, it, I mean, here in the UK, it has hit the mainstream, right? And and the reason that I say that with such utter confidence is because two weeks ago, I went to see a podcast live. There's a husband and wife couple that do a um, a comedy podcast called um, Shagged, Married, Annoyed. Um, which uh, is enormous here in the UK to the point where I went to see them in, in the O2 Arena, which is the biggest venue in the UK, 20,000 people um, in the venue, uh, all because of a podcaster. So yeah. so, yeah, it can have enormous reach. But, I mean, let's be realistic. Most of us are not going to be that um, you know, I, I was excited at the height of ours when we filled, you know, I don't know, a couple of thousand people in a in a venue. So, wow. you know, it, it's it's uh, it's not going to get to that extreme. But and this is for me why podcasting has always had an enormous appeal is because it creates what 
has become known as an asynchronous relationship, which is a very (laughs) fancy way of saying that people get to know you as a person. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can write all you want. um, You can, uh, you know, write a book. I've written six odd books. I've, I've been blogging since 2005. But when people listen to you, they feel they know you. They feel that there's a relationship with you. And of course, if you're involved in in any kind of sales activity, you know that the the number one thing um, that sells is is relationship, is is trust, and trust is built out of a relationship and a respect for somebody. And so, you know, that's I've built my career basically on that that principle that that people know and respect me because they've listened to me and they feel that I'm their friend. I mean, I've had random people come up to me you know, on the underground in London um, saying, are you, are you poor? And then they start chatting about aspects of my life. And I'm like, how the hell do you know that? You know? Yeah. 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 As, yeah. Same here. People will say like, I, I, someone will say something about like one of my kids or something. It's like, whoa, whoa, what did I say? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it happens all the time when, when, well, I shouldn't say all the time, but it is not uncommon for someone to be like, uh, it usually doesn't happen in person these days, but I'll get email or mm. something that I saw you on this podcast or I listened to your podcast or whatever. That That's the the thing. I don't really track the numbers, but just anecdotally, when people end up buying something from me and I usually have a question like, oh, do you remember where you heard of me? And it's almost always yeah. like some kind of podcast, either YouTube or, or uh, a podcast. And yeah, so I try and I try and get people to. Uh, I mean, I teach people how to start their own podcasts. It doesn't. It doesn't. In, in my humble opinion, it doesn't need to be hard. It can be very complicated, but <laughs> I think for it to be effective and to get started, you know, the best way to have a, a great podcast is to start a crappy one and make it better over time. Oh yes, yeah. I, and one of my biggest um, shames <laughs> is that my entire backlack back. back catalog of podcasts are still all available online you can go back to number one and it is the most painful thing you have ever heard yeah everybody says the same thing yeah it's the same with everything isn't it i mean you know you've got to do to get better and and i think a lot of people get hung up on that they think um oh i'm not good enough to start podcasting well you're never going to get good enough um unless you start doing it and the huge reassuring thing is you can start a podcast tomorrow and probably do a hundred episodes and be pretty confident no one is ever going to listen to them because it takes a long time to build an audience, you know? <laughs> and and I think that's what puts a lot of people off of podcasting or, or to indeed any form of content marketing, you know, whether it be blogging, whether it be YouTube videos, it doesn't happen overnight. It's it's the consistency that makes it work. It's you becoming a part of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a switching. It's switching your mentality from a hunter mentality to a gardening mentality, and like mm. hunters are hunters want to run out and with their spear and like boom, come back with a buffalo, uh, and to to convince them to switch to to gardening, which isn't going to produce results for six months at the earliest. Yeah, like oh, well, I could have I could have had five buffaloes in the meantime, you know. Yeah. So you know, it's like where when are these tomatoes going to come out of the ground? I'm I'm hungry now, you know. Yeah. So it it can be a tough. I I get it. I understand why it would it would be like that. And my my start podcasting heavily inspired by how much fun I had listening to your show and even eventually coming on your show. Uh, I started just a dopey podcast with one of my good friends, and we would just kind of banter and like try and make it, yeah. each other laugh. You know, sound familiar? And, uh, and we just talked about nerdy stuff that happened at work that was, you know, I mean, we do shows about APIs or like a bug in rails or something like that. And it was just like nobody, well, I almost said nobody listened, but actually people did listen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where they came from. I don't, you know, maybe we must have tweeted about it or something. Um, but it was, you know, if, if same thing, if you go back, that was my first show. And I think that was 2013 or 2011, maybe. And if you go back and listen to it, it's painful like you said it's mm. just like in the only way you get comfortable doing it, it's it's practice you're not gonna like you're not gonna learn how to podcast by reading a book any more no. than you're gonna learn how to ride a bike playing a book or play guitar like it's a it's a practice thing so you might as well get started probably no one's gonna listen anyway um and the other thing that you, tell me if this if this happened to you um there's this other other benefit to it that is much more immediate 
which is that you've got something to invite people to. So you can, if you have this podcast and you do an interview style show, then you can reach out to people who would never otherwise spend an hour letting you pick Mm -hmm. their brain and say, hey, Seth Godin, could you come on and be the guest on our 100th episode? And they might say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, they did. I mean, I was gobsmacked at the people. You know, I remember interviewing, although admittedly they weren't um, well known then. But in my first year podcasting, I interviewed the two founders of Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, the really bizarre thing is back then, they were quite, they really wanted to be on the show because they were trying to promote this new thing called Twitter. It was really funny in hindsight. So, yeah, I mean, and I've, I've spoken to all kinds of people that I would never have got a look into otherwise. But I think there's almost another aspect of that, which is um, I became an expert via association. Oh, well, if, if so-and-so, you know, Seth Godin, for example, not that he ever did come on my podcast. I don't think I even knew he existed for a long time. I'm yeah. a bit slow on the uptake there. But um, he, you know, if if he'd come on, on the um, the podcast and I interview him, people start going, oh, well, Paul must be on the same level as, as Seth Godin. You know, he, 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 there's this kind of expertise via association, which is incredibly deceptive because, you know, I had some brilliant people on the show and, you know, who were far cleverer than I, I've ever been. But yeah, it's, it's the way the world works. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So, you know, <clears throat> do you... Uh, I, I kind of expect the answer to this to be no, but maybe I'll be surprised, but I'm going to ask anyway. So, so did you ever track like direct, did you ever like track like, okay, so, well, let me back up a little bit. You guys had like a firm or an agency. There's yeah. a number of people, employees. Um, I imagine that at some point the podcast took up a non-trivial amount of time and then you'd need to justify to yourself or perhaps partners that it yeah. was worth continuing. Did you mm-hmm. ha- did you track like downloads and say, or this much, this number of dollars from clients came directly from the podcast because that's where they heard of us? Or did you just kind of trust that this was a smart thing to do? Or was it a labor of love? Like what kept you going at the point? Yeah. Well, I'm assuming it got difficult at some point, but if it didn't, then it didn't. But what kept you going no, of course you know, it, for it, as of course long as you did? did. Um, Okay, there's a couple of kind of issues there. There's the one of tracking and justifying it. Um, and no, I didn't really do that much. We we knew, you know, we didn't need numbers to tell us that. It, it, you know, it was fairly obvious that the, the majority of new clients were either coming by referrals, which, you know, is the lifeblood of any business anyway, um, or alternatively coming via the podcast. It was, or the podcast and the blog combined, because the two went very hand in hand. Um, and I was, I was incredibly supported by, by the two other co-founders of, of Headscape, Marcus being one, um, but there's another guy called Chris, and they just let me get on with it, basically. It, it, yeah. Sales really, sales and marketing became my primary role when I was running that agency. That's pretty much all I did. You know, I, I turned up at the beginning of projects, looked impressive, <laughs> spouted a load of BS and then went away. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so so we kind of, we could kind of see that. The other aspect is um, what kept us going, Um and to be honest, I think that is was primarily down to we liked doing it most of the time. It did become it did become hard work, um, and it you know especially with interviews and setting up things like this, you have to put some thought into it beforehand. This was before the days of Calendly, where you could just go mm-hmm. in and book something. So there was lots of backwards and forwards about calendars and. It was it, it, it. There was a lot of admin involved in it, which was a bit of a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but me and Marcus genuinely liked sitting down and talking crap for a couple of hours every week. Um, you know, and and that was that was fun. Um, we changed it up when we did begin to get um, weary, so we went from weekly to doing seasons with the break in between each season, which helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there was. Uh, and to some degree, it's just stubbornness. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I, 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 somewhere very early on in in the whole thing, 
I, I think it comes down to my favourite quote. My favourite quote is by a guy. Uh, is by a guy like you're not going to know him. Um, is, <laughs> from, is from Winston Churchill. So Her, you might yes, never Her. have heard of him. He's quite an obscure <laughs> leader um, over here. Yeah. So Winston Churchill famously said, um, "Success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm." Oh, such a good one. Yeah. Right. And, and that's how I live my life. So you know, I will. I am very tenacious. Um, and you know, I'm not somebody that goes, "This isn't working. Let's give up on it." Um, mm-hmm. It takes almost to my detriment. I, I podcasted. I've stopped podcasting now. I stopped in March last, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it took. I went on way longer than I should have. I should have stopped before that, really. But. <laughs> yeah, just feeling like you're repeating yourself, or you just didn't. Yeah. You're like, eh, this is. Yeah, done. partly that, and partly um, it wasn't. Uh, about six, seven years ago, I I stepped back from from Headscape. Um, so uh, and and I now work as an independent UX consultant. And and when you do that kind of work by yourself you've got to be very regimented about getting a return on your investment from your marketing activities because any hours i don't know this is going to get into dodgy ground but (laughs) any hours you spend um you know doing marketing is hours you're not billing sorry we don't bill by the hours on this podcast sorry about that um (laughs) But yeah, so you can see how in that scenario, you've got to make sure that the time you spend on marketing is not time that you're spending, you know, is time being well spent. And the podcast wasn't performing as well as other things that I do. For me now, mm-hmm. the, the huge benefit is, or the huge um, success area is email marketing newsletters, mm-hmm. um, which I know you, you do as well. Mm-hmm. And that that is is far more successful because because of the overload of information out there i mean who goes and looks at a blog these days you remember when we used to have rss readers and we all used to (laughs) subscribe to our favorite blog i mean nobody does that anymore you search on stuff podcasts you a lot of people still subscribe to um but again i i'd just done it to death i needed to do something different you know after Mm -hmm. what is it 16 years of podcasting yeah 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 i do both i think it's a good strategy to do both and 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 yes part of billing by the hours that you start thinking every hour you're not billing needs to be justified somehow it's like it's like oh yeah i know i'm on vacation with my family but i could have billed like ten thousand dollars you know it's it 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 encourages that kind of thinking because your time is so connected to your but the uh what have you let's see at what point did you start with email marketing? How far back does that go? Were you doing that from the beginning of the podcast? I don't remember. No, that. no, that came in. I don't know actually when I started, but I've I've only got serious about it probably in the last couple of years. I've mm-hmm. had an email list for ages. You know, you it's one of those things that you just randomly pick up somewhere along the line. Somehow, I don't know when. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I probably only got serious about growing it a couple of years ago um and so yeah now that is that's much more focused but my if my emails are kind of they're still kind of a podcast in a weird way um that every email i produce is also a video version oh um so you can you can watch the the the, uh, email because we all get so much email in our inbox you know if you can um, mix it up um, a little bit, then great. And and so I just record um, pretty much to camera. Um, the me not reading because I kind of wander off as as I do, but but essentially covering very similar content to to his email, just to give people an alternative way of consuming it. And and that also then gets released as an audio version. So there is a kind of, I still am kind of podcasting, but really it's reusing the same content in three different ways. And and again, that comes back to needing to be efficient in the way that I work. So I'll take the same piece of content and I'll reuse it across different platforms so that mm. different people who like to consume things in different ways can all get the same stuff. Mm. Well, Gary V would approve. So what's your workflow like there? Is the is it the video first or is it the the writing first or do you just have like an is the is it like a transcript of the video or is it more like you write a thing and then you kind of riff on it into the camera 
uh, it's, it, I write it first. Um, I do have a teleprompter. I say teleprompter. That sounds so, yeah. I basically have a thing that sits on the front of my camera and has got my phone on it, you know. A real cheap, nasty little piece of kit, but it, it does the job. So, so I've got it coming up. Um, sometimes it, I'm basically just reading it, obviously in a very enthusiastic and engaging way, but I'm basically reading it. Other yeah. times um, I lose the plot halfway through and go off on something um it kind of depends so so write it first then record the video um so that um when someone gets the email through it says click here to watch the video and it goes off to basically a blog post so it's also you don't have to be subscribed to get the content of my newsletter although most people do um and then also that i just rip the audio out of that and shove it on a on a podcast as well mm. and how much no editing just like here we go rough and ready yeah that's well a little bit there is a little bit of editing um sometimes i screw up part way through and i can't be bothered to re-record the whole thing so you know it it, um my wife does my (laughs) does the editing these days it's very very sophisticated setup we've got um so she she tends to hack me around and spends most of her time pausing me on stupid faces and then calling me over and say, look, look what you look like. Uh, true love. So I love that. I love this. One of the, one of my big themes is to um, not be so precious about the content marketing stuff, whether it's an email or podcast, which are my two favorite channels and, and just start doing it. Don't there's like 80% of the stuff that makes a podcast hard. You don't have to do. Same thing with yeah. a, a newsletter. It's like, just don't do it. Don't have ads. Don't even have guests if that's a pain. Have a co-host or just talk by yourself and because of all the back and forth. Even with Calendly, yeah, yeah. people cancel and reschedule and stuff. And uh, just get it out there. No music. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. you don't need to have music. You don't need to have nope. all these things that you hear. What the important thing is that you're helping the listener. And if it, no one has ever complained to me that I don't have intro music at the beginning of this no. podcast. You know, no one cares. So, you know, is it a branding opportunity and does it does is it nice when you listen to a podcast that has a really cool song at the beginning? Yeah, it's nice, but it's not going to make or break your show. No. And it adds a lot of friction. So, I'm for people getting started, I'm like keep it simple, record and make sure your sound is is listenable, right? Like yeah. like you might sound like an idiot, but as long as the audio quality is good and it's not like you know, like yeah. things going on cuz people will not put up with that. No. But Right. So a decent mic, maybe not your headphone mic, but like, you know, a decent mic, maybe 50 bucks. It doesn't matter. There's tons of them. Just plug it into your computer and go for it. And uh, and I love the so getting to the the, the uh, sort of not frictionless, but the leverage piece is that you're reusing the content in three different ways. I would say you still have a podcast. I mean, technically, you don't you don't feel like you're podcasting compared to what it was like before. But if it's published as an RSS feed that can be consumed in a podcast, yeah, yeah. then I would say, yeah, you're kind of... But in your mind, you're not podcasting, which I understand. So I, I love that. I, I have a couple of students who are super, super natural, like live streaming on YouTube. They're like, they're, they grew up with it. They're much more comfortable with that. And they have this video first workflow where... They, they get a, a question from someone or they find a question on core or Reddit or something. And they'll just like, hey, I saw this question online and it's blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, it's right in their area of expertise. And so then they just kind of riff on it for two minutes yeah. or three minutes or four minutes. And then and then that's the first thing. And then they take a transcript and they'll email it out and they rip the audio off, too. And it's just like, you know it's really, it's really quick. It's really quick. If you, yeah. if you, and if you get into the habit of not editing, I'm you know, telling the listener, you know this, but um, if you get into the habit of not editing and, and sending out your flubs and being embarrassed by them, you'll get better at not making flubs or covering mm. them up or making them funny or doing, or you'll say, um, less if you're not editing them all out every time. In fact, manually there's also, editing. I mean, there's a, there's another factor in that, in that mm-hmm. as well, which is that, it's those things that make you human. It's those things that build the rapport with the audience. Um, and um, I, I remember, I remember very vividly, very early on. Well, not very early on, but we hadn't quite reached the height of our subscriber base. But we were on the way up. There was a lot of people talking about us, 
And I decided one show to kind of go through the WCAG, the accessibility guidelines. And I was going through this list and we hit one. I can't even remember what one it was, but because I was trying to think ahead and I was doing too many things, I completely misread what it was about and went off on this huge tangent about something. And we just published it, right? Didn't think twice about it. The amount of online abuse that I got. Uh-huh. Um, Especially but, about that. Uh, yeah, of all things. Sensitive well, topic. It, but it was interesting because because of the style of the podcast, because people had gotten to know me, it wasn't horrible abuse. It was taking the Michael of me. It was, you know, uh, and so, uh, but leaving that in, it humanized me. It made me fun. It, you know, it, it became a standing joke. And <laughs> did it undermine, did it undermine my credibility? Probably, you know, in certain people's <laughs> eyes. But there's enough people out there that actually found it endearing and fun that it wasn't a problem. I think a lot of people are afraid of humor as well. Mm. Um, and messing around and being seen as being unprofessional. But I always come back, my great example of that was the first ever tweet from the CIA, right? If there's ever an organization that you would say shouldn't use humor, it would be the CIA, (laughs) right? But their first ever tweet is, we can neither confirm nor deny that this is our Twitter account. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I just thought that's great if they could joke then anyone could joke you know yes. I, maybe not if you're a funeral home that might yeah, be a step perhaps, too far perhaps but yeah and and, and i think that's a really uh, sorry i've just completely derailed what you were saying no, you were making no, a really good point and i've just gone off on one but that's the other thing is that i think a lot of people try and be something they're not on a podcast mm-hmm. um so you know, there may be, you mentioned Gary V earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's incredibly um, uh, kind of charismatic and outgoing. And you might think, oh, I've got to be like that. No, you don't. <laughs> You've got to be you. Because, you know, a lot, people, a lot of people get really don't like Gary V. He's annoying, you know? Um, he's over the top. It's false. And I don't feel like that personally, but I know a lot of people do. Right. So you appeal to those, the people that like your kind of character. You mm-hmm. don't need to put on a persona. And so many people feel like they do when they present themselves to the world. Um, you know, if you're a considered quiet person, be considered and quiet. If you're someone that doesn't like speaking publicly on something like a podcast, then write a blog post instead, you know? Yeah. In fact, if you listen back to early episodes of, of somebody's first podcast, a lot of times the reason it's cringy is because they're being a little bit professional or fake or they're trying to, yeah. they're not being themselves, they're not being natural. It's almost like they're getting speakers block. So, because yeah. they're trying to be something they're not, you know, like if you listen back to the first, well, you know, people listening will be familiar with uh, another show I do called The Business of Authority. And if you go back, Rochelle, Kemp, I have a co-host on that show and she cannot stand listening to like the first 15 episodes because it was the first time she ever did a podcast. In her head, it was a big deal and she was nervous and trying to be very corporate. And it, she, she's like, it's. I didn't think it wasn't that bad, but to her, she's just like, yeah. oh, can we redo those? You know, it's really, it's not that bad, but in her, she like, she can hear herself being fake and she yeah. just can't stand it. It's like, that's the thing. And that's why you need practice to get through it. I mean, I was a musician. I've been standing in front of a mic since I was 15. So, you know, speaker, musician, podcaster, whatever. And, you know, it didn't automatically, like well, the first time I heard my recorded voice on a cassette recorder when that was a thing it sounded weird to me yeah but after a while you get used to it it just like sounds like you it doesn't sound weird to anybody else yeah it's like i mean to be honest I, I i just don't listen to my own podcasts that solves the problem for me you know <laughs> there you go. I, I i don't listen to me speaking i don't listen to me interviewed elsewhere i just i can't stand it and so fortunately marcus um always used to edit our podcast so i never had to listen to myself again so I could, I, 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 yeah, I would be horrified, no doubt, by what I say and do. But there you go. Somehow it worked, right? Yeah. Well, so, so, what's the, what's your direction these days? So you step back from Headscape. You yeah. for the past, you said you air quotes stopped podcasting a couple of years ago, and we're doing more yeah. of the newsletter. What's the newsletter about? Have you changed direction overall? You said you're UX consultant, um, but what's no, going on the, in that the, space? I mean, the newsletter came out of the fact that 
people's behavior has changed online uh, as i said earlier but you know who, who people don't subscribe to blog posts anymore um they search if they've got a problem mm-hmm. but there is there are many topics of conversation in my mind that don't don't fit that format right so you know you don't for example um you don't uh you never google something like my last my last email that went out you never would google the subject why is ux consultancy so messy right (laughs) which is what i wrote about okay Mm -hmm. um those kinds of opinion pieces and those bigger issue stuff they're not the kind of thing that that you would search on but they're really important that they're discussed and talked about and you know i'm writing another piece at the moment about you know organizing projects now you might google you know how do projects work or how to run a project but but you're not necessarily going to the the thrust of the article is things like estimating time it's going to take to do stuff and how terrible that is and and so not all of these kind of translate well into to you know searchable seo friendly content Mm -hmm. so that's what led me then on to on to doing email emails where you know people are subscribing and i'm building a relationship with them and then they're interested in these more these broader issues still around you know user experience design and conversion rate optimization and digital transformation which are the three areas that i work in mm-hmm. um but yeah are a little bit more of opinion pieces i you know there's too many people out there already teaching you you know how to start a podcast or how to you know format something in css you know yeah I don't want to get into that. You know, after right. 27 years in the industry, you want to talk about more interesting things than than that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that. It's just not tactical stuff. It's more strategic and like yeah. setting the goals and visions. And yeah, yeah, that's great. It gets, yeah, it's like how to, how to, I don't know, use responsive images gets old after a while and it's done to death. So, yeah. but I, I love your point about uh, the kinds of things you want to write about and the kind, you know, the, the area where your expertise lies is not seo friendly it's not things people are searching for it's like it's like no. solutions to problems that they don't even know they have or don't re- they they have if you bring it up but they're not searching for it it's not like a it's not like a splinter or a gunshot wound it's like it's more like this creeping malaise like oh maybe i should maybe i should quit freelancing and just go work for google or something it, you know it's like who's, what are they going to search yeah. for you know should i quit and go back yeah, you know, yeah that's exactly it they're often it, it's that people don't always realize what the underlying problem is they know right. their symptom but they mm-hmm. don't know the cause exactly um and that can be a yeah that's a really complicated value-based pricing is a great example of it actually Mm -hmm. yes there are a group of people out there that are searching on value-based pricing but they're the people that already know that they've got a need for that right (laughs) it's all the people that don't know they've got a need for it and would never occur to them to search on that i mean don't get me wrong i do still you know my blog these days i i basically i um, every other week, so every week I produce something. So one week it will be a newsletter, next week it'll be a blog post, and I alternate between them. And basically, the blog posts these days are the SEO friendly stuff. They're the how-to kind of things to do it. Mm-hmm. While the newsletter is the you know is that more that deeper stuff. So yep. yeah, the bigger picture. It's, you don't publish the emails on your website as well. I I do actually, but okay. because of the way they my don't... my my um blog post as my website is formatted they're not quite so prominent as as I the see. blog posts are i see and so what's the who's the ideal reader for the newsletter oh you see now that would imply that i've got some kind of marketing strategy in place <laughs> um, well you i'm sure you know from who's on your list <laughs> yeah, who it attracts <laughs> so so i that that was very facetious i am a okay. little bit more organized than that i've got <laughs> I've got two basic audiences that I cater for, um, which are, um, and it really, my business is built around these. So, so we've got the in-house teams, um, which are typically, they're working for a relatively large organization, um, you know, I don't know, Puma or, or, you know, British Petroleum or someone of that kind of size. And they're, they're usually in a, a relatively 
small um, digital team, or they might call them a UX team or whatever else, and and they feel quite isolated in that environment, and they're having trouble getting the rest of the organisation to take user experience seriously, and, <laughs> and they're struggling and that kind of thing. So I t- I work a lot with people like that. So that's one half of my business, and um, but I also do not dissimilar to you. I do a lot of mentorship for agency owners. Um, so that would be my other group of people that that I I work with. Um, so the newsletter, really, I mean, ideally, I should have two separate newsletters, but I'm too lazy for that. Um, <laughs> and, and so there is one newsletter. Occasionally, it's amazing how many of the conversations are applicable to both audiences a lot of a lot of the things i talk about do impact both audiences but occasionally i will do different versions of a newsletter for those different audiences um and i've got them segmented when you sign up you say what you are and you know so so i do adapt it but basically it's you know that those are the groups i'm i'm talking to cool yeah that's great do you do you think here's my opinion you can you can tell me what you think um i think that someone who's out there as like a solo consultant uh they're implying that they know what they're talking about you know you can be self-deprecating as you want but you still need to be like yeah perceived as an expert at a particular thing or the authority in the space for something and and i think that you can't go wrong get if that's the kind of business you've created for yourself like solo or very small very small where you're the principal uh maybe you've got a couple of helpers or something or your wife's yeah. editing podcast but yeah um but it's it's basically like one person and if that's the kind of business that you have i think you cannot go wrong writing and speaking on a regular basis and in uh, that for me that's uh, it used to be flying around and speaking that's the one time we actually met in person was in london at w mm what was it i don't even remember wdx or some web thing yeah and uh the and and that was fine at the time but even before pandemic era it was like it gets old especially when you start having kids Mm -hmm. and dogs and so forth so i was like well what am i gonna do so i stopped doing that when we had our second and i was like wow what do you know i'm not getting any leads anymore hmm i wonder if there's a connection so Uh, that's when I, that's right around the time I started getting serious about podcasting, even if it was kind of a, a hangout and have coffee with, you know, Jonathan and Eric, uh, that's my wife, with Jonathan and Kelly, um, you know, talk about rails or whatever. Yeah. And, and what do you know? It start things started to pick back up. And yeah. so I think, and I think, I think, but I see them differently. I, I, I see um, podcasting creating the intimacy, like, you know, that, that sense that your friends, and this is actually, you probably know this, we've probably talked about it. Um, there's something called parasocial relationships that goes back as f- something that's been studied as far back as the fifties. And that's why celebrity endorsements work and so forth. Yeah. So it's real. Like it definitely, and I know that it's happened to me. That mu- it's probably the example I was talking about in the, in the email about you, because you were the first like podcaster. I was just like, wow, this guy's like famous. And like, I know everything about him or you feel like, you know, everything about. Yeah. 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 So that's one kind of trust. It's kind of irrational, though, because as soon as you think about it too hard, it makes no sense. Yeah, but it, but that's that's the way of the world. You know, right. it, we right. don't make decisions rationally, do we? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the but then the writing, the regular writing, and I do daily writing um, is uh, which I do not know how the hell you do that. I'm telling that you, just, it's easier. It's I swear is to it God, really? it's easier. I swear it is. I used to do right. weekly. It was much harder. It was much really? harder to do weekly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, is that because you're not self-editing? You, you know, you're not getting caught up in yourself because you've just got to get something out. A little bit, but it's also yeah. it's also that something happens when you know you you're on deadline, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, that's true. Something something happens. It flips a switch in your head where you start seeing ideas everywhere. Yeah, no, m- that is true. No, I've I've experienced that. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, and I have a, a pretty relaxed schedule. So if I have an idea, I can just stop what I'm doing and write yeah. it. And it's yeah. like, oh, that'd make a perfect email. And boom, 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 300 words later, send. And yeah. I have a, a, a couple of little tools that I set up for myself to make it trivially simple for me to just rip open a web page on my phone and type it in, 
hopefully there's not too many egregious typos or bad autocorrect and just yeah. hit a couple buttons and it's published to my website and it goes out to, you know, 10,000 people or whatever. Yeah. So, so it, I just made it really easy so that and, and doing it every day forces you to be like, oh, I really have to write a, some code to make this easier because those little points of friction yeah. really start to add up. So there's a whole combination of things that cause it to be easier than weekly. I, I yeah. promise you it is easier. Uh, anyway, no, I don't believe. Yeah, I'm not, I don't just don't doubt you. It's mm. uh, it's just yeah. I, I, I that that impressed me when I realised it was daily. Mm. You don't do weekends, right? Please tell me you don't do weekends. Every single day, I haven't missed a day <gasps> in six years. Flipping heck! Yeah, good man. It's easy. I'm telling you, it's easy. it's like my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. Like work wise, I've got to say, I, yeah. I I agree with that. My newsletter, sitting down and writing my newsletter, is the the one thing in my job that I enjoy more than anything else. So in right. some ways, you know, there is a part of me that's quite tempted to do the same thing, go daily, <laughs> but I I don't think I ought to. I think I I yeah I <laughs> I need to balance things. Yeah, but yeah uh, there is a temptation because oftentimes I get frustrated that I've got to wait another two weeks before I can send out another one because there's something else knocking around in my head. That was another thing that that was another thing that I found uh, I, I loved about daily was I didn't have to wait or e- even even just like pr- pragmatically I I didn't have to like <laughs> like if I had something coming up that I was going to launch. And I like missed my weekly thing. I'm like, oh man, yeah. I was supposed to launch my new thing. And I, I sent yeah, a regular yeah, yeah. email. So now I have to email everybody on a Wednesday. And But now I just email people every day. Yeah, and it solves that problem. It solves the problem, right. And in, in the, <laughs> after the PS, I just throw a couple of links in there. It's like, hey, buy my book yep. or hey, sign up for my course. And I don't even have to talk about it. So no. it's just in many, many, there's at least a half a dozen. I could probably come up with a dozen ways that it's way easier to do daily. Yeah, it does sound, it does sound good. Counterintuitive. You're you're tempting me. Stop tempting me. I was dragged kicking and screaming by a friend who had made the switch and said, "Dude, you're gonna love this." And I and he and I was like, "No, how am I gonna switch over? I've got all these campaigns running and blah." And he's like, "Just screw them up. He's not gonna be smooth." And anyway, so we could talk about that offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so okay, what I was saying was there, there's this sort of irrational. Um, a parasocial relationship created by the speaking stuff where people immediately yes. know if they like you or click with you or don't click with you. And then there's the writing piece, which to me is where at least I find it's more of a rational appeal to the, it's more of a rational trust. Like, wow, mm. this person really can explain this. They're really turning on a light bulb. I'm really thinking new thoughts here. Like you said, it's not gonna, it doesn't connect you with people the same way hearing them does. But, um, I find that that's the place where I develop new ideas and insights in the writing. And then all those are things I'll talk about later once I kind of have my head around how to talk about it. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. I think there are, there is another aspect that you do need to be, I, you see, I see a, a, some common mistakes I see is first that you, you get people that really are writing. I, okay. I'm very pragmatic, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm very, I like to be very focused, right? So I'm beyond the point of doing any of this just because, oh, Paul wants to be famous or, or, you know, I'm beyond that. I'm not criticizing people that are in that place because I I had a moment of that as well. Mm -hmm. But I I want it to lead to more business ultimately. So, So I'm very pragmatic about it. First, a lot of people, I think, spend too much time writing for their peers rather than their clients, right? Amen. Um, which is is a huge problem, I think, you know. Secondly, they're, they're, all they're doing is throwing up, whether it be a blog post, whether it be a podcast or whatever, they're throwing it up on their own, own site. Nobody knows you exist and nobody reads it, right? And so it's very hard to keep momentum going in an environment like that when, when you, you know no one's really looking at it. So... I, I, I actually construct it as a journey, right? Or you could say a sales funnel if you were were, were particularly marketing focused. So, you know, at the very top of that sits outreach things. This, what we're doing right now is me doing that. I approached you because you said something nice about me. <laughs> um, you suggested that we did this this interview. So I'm now currently reaching a new group of people that maybe haven't heard of me, right? So my hope from doing that is that that will 
send some people to my newsletter, to my website. And on my website, my primary call to action is sign up to my newsletter. And then the newsletter is where I nurture that relationship, where, as you say, they get to know me a little bit through the videos that I produce, but they also get to see my expertise in action, right? This, Like you say, this is where they hopefully people are going, that Paul, he's an okay man, instead <laughs> of that Paul, he's a British asshole. Um, and that, that actually that then attracts them to my site. And then I get them signed up to the newsletter. And hopefully then they can intellectually see that I know my shit. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then hopefully they will hire me for something, whatever that thing is. And so it's a very structured journey of knowing that I need to get people's attention. I need to hold their attention. And I get people's attention through building some sense of relationship or connection. And I hold their attention by demonstrating value to them on an ongoing basis. I've now just totally given away my entire strategy that I want to convince people of on, you know, that I'm trying to use on the people listening to this. All you need to do now is go to boagworld.com forward slash subscribe and sign up for my newsletter. Yes. But, well, you know, you, you get the idea. Yeah. Well, transparency is very popular these days. <laughs> so, yeah, let's call it that. Let's call it transparency. That sounds better. <laughs> So the reason the reason why that would, whether or not you talk about it, the reason why it would work or not work completely hinges on whether or not people spend time and pay attention, spend and pay their, you know, to your content and then feel like they got a positive ROI from it. And yeah. I don't I don't mean they instantly made $10 more than they would have billed, of course, but yeah. they, if my my every time i write one of these emails and i have an idea and i write it down my sole goal is to make the reader glad they read it yeah you're, you're entirely spot on yeah so and, if, and i just trust that if i can do that every day for like thousands of people i'll be fine like i'll be fine like i don't yeah. need to i don't need to worry about anything so and but it it comes down to that like daily habit of making people glad they read that glad they spent the time to pay attention and it's like well if he can deliver positive roi there maybe i should buy his book it's only 49 bucks yeah so you know and it's it's not like you're tricking anyone like yes no i, I recognize that you know i recognize that i have a funnel you recognize that you have a funnel but it's like, I think educational content marketing, which is, a, I don't know if people still call it that or ever called it that, but it's, I just see it as like helping as many people as possible at scale. Yeah, absolutely. That is right. all that it should be. And I think a lot of people, you know, a, a lot of the, the agencies I mentor, and I'm sure it's the same with you, you know, you talk to these founders and they go, well, you know, I don't really like selling myself or I don't really mar <laughs> like marketing. And I, I say to them, well, don't do it you know, just be a helpful, nice human being. <laughs> um, you know, that's all you ultimately need to do. And you do that by helping people out, by giving them, you know, get, not holding anything back. And that's the thing, I think, where, where some marketing people fall down is they go, oh, well, I mustn't talk about that because that's my secret sauce that I sell. <laughs> I talk about everything. I describe in immense detail how to do something like customer journey mapping, right? Yet customer journey mapping is the number one thing I get asked to do. <laughs> and you think, well, that makes no sense, does it? I've just taught you step by step exactly how I do it. Why the hell are you then hiring me to do it? And it's because they're too busy or they feel intimidated by it or they just like the idea of working with me because they've, you know, they've come to like me. And it's like, OK, let's do this thing. You know, I'm up for that. So I never hold anything back. And, and it really irritates me when people feel that they have to do that. Yeah, I 100 I percent agree. I have a blog post from years ago called Share, 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 because I would I would get this question all the time well like i don't want to give away my best thinking it's like well no one's you're just going to be invisible yeah like your yeah. Best it's that you could be you could be the absolute genius of the web but if nobody's ever heard of you what's the point i mean it's like <laughs> I, I was um my my daughter is um a physicist and um she gets really annoyed that everyone loves you know like um uh stephen hawking and mitchell kaka and people like that 
you know, or what's the, the uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Um, it's the other one. She despises that the, the, they get all of the publicity because, you know, she knows of these physicists that nobody's ever heard of that are amazing and do incredible things and, you know, all the rest of it. And it's like, well, that's the world we live in. You know, you could be a genius, but if no one's heard of you, it's worth nothing. Another way to put it is you could be a genius, but you're not helping anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, that's Neil a better, yeah, that's a better, I like that. That's a better way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson is popularizing interest in physics, yeah. at least, or astronomy or whatever, and astrophysics. So it's like, yeah, does he, is he the smartest like guy out there? Probably not. There probably isn't a smartest guy or gal out there. No. Like who, who I mean, I understand the, I, the, the, your daughter's reaction is so common. I mean, you yeah. must have seen this. You probably were the were the target of this. Oh yeah, Paul Boyg's yeah. not that smart. I'm much smarter. And why isn't everyone hiring Headscape instead of us? And it's like, yeah, you know, it, here's a, another one. Is um, I get this all the time, uh, where people are like, "Oh, sure, that works for you. You're famous." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't that's another born one. famous." <laughs> like, I used to be just like you, and then I wrote an email every day for six years, and now I'm not. Right? So yeah. it's not like. <laughs> It's like, well, it's like they, they don't realize that it's it's not chicken or egg. It's like you need to start um, putting your best thinking out there. Why would you put not your best thinking out there? Yeah. You know, put it behind it a, a no paywall. It is interesting, mine, this thing of, well, that works for you, but it wouldn't work for me because I don't have your reputation. Uh, there is a degree, for me at least, of truth in that. That the, the way that, that I built my reputation, I'm not sure would work in the same way anymore, right? Take podcasting, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I became well known for podcasting, not because I was doing amazing podcasts, but because there were no other podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and then of course, once people get to know you, they get to like you and they say subscribe to you. So I actually think just copying what we did wouldn't necessarily work anymore you need to adapt for the reality that you're in and in a much more constant you know content saturated market i do think that there is a degree of okay you need to be a little bit more strategic in this you know i mean me and marcus just jumped on a mic and started talking absolute nonsense that of whatever we cared about i don't i think you need to be more considered and certainly more considered about who your audience is and who you're trying to reach and to 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 identify a niche sorry niche um uh <laughs> that you are you are trying to reach these days rather than doing something as general as we did because otherwise you're just going to get lost in the noise of the internet so there is a degree of truth in in that just because it worked for us doesn't mean it's going to work for somebody else. But I do know what you're saying. After yeah. that, you know, yeah. you've got to put the work in. Right. So let's let's. I want to re say that in a with different language. In a, a in a coherent way is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more like mapping it to things that I talk about regularly. So so what Paul just said is exactly what I mean when I talk about. Um, well, niching down, which I do, we, we use the niche pronunciation here, and oh, yes, and um, because because it is easier, just because it's easier, it's easier to be different if you pick a specific type of listener or audience member or customer or client or whatever, because you can speak to them more directly, which will make you stand out, and you'll can still I attract other people. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I know you were trying to nicely summarize, but my chaotic style doesn't allow for that. So I have to talk all over you, right? But the the other reason that um, I think you need, should niche down, that sounds really cool the way you say it, it sounds so much better, um, is, is it's like I've got a tiny little pebble of marketing energy, right? I am a single person. And if I take that pebble and I throw it into the ocean of the internet, it's going to disappear without a trace. But if I take that pebble and throw it into a small pond of a particular niche, I can create ripples. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's the key. And, and f what you want, ideally, is a niche where 
it's a community of people that already talk to one another. So I've done it, for example, in the higher education sector, where everybody who works in the higher education sector, they all just move around from one university to another, right? Mm-hmm. And so they take ideas and people and influences from one location to another. And so you can become very dominant in a sector with a relatively small amount of effort because they just pass you around, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen if you don't niche. Oh, no, right. sorry, niche down. <laughs> right. Or pigeonhole yourself is another thing I say. Yeah. But so the, I love I love the ocean, that you brought up the ocean metaphor because... Um, I, when people use a fishing metaphor around this, they say, "Why would I? Why would I fish with just a line, a hook, and a line instead of a, a big giant net?" Yeah. And I'm like, "That's the wrong metaphor. You're fishing yeah. with a line, either in a barrel of fish or in the ocean." Yeah. It's not a net. Nike has a net. Yeah. Like Google has a net. They can spend massive marketing dollars and have massive sales force, but that you don't get in general. Being a generalist isn't a giant net. It's you in a dinghy in the middle of the ocean trying to catch one of 3.5 trillion fish. Maybe you'll have a good day, maybe you won't. But wouldn't you rather fish in a barrel that had, you know, or a pool that had like a thousand trout flopping out of it? It's like, yeah, of course. So, um, okay, so back to the tactics thing. So copying tactics from 2005 might not, is probably not going to work, like you said. Doing Mm. exactly what you did just you know two guys in a room talking about random web stuff probably is not going to work but if you if you copy the strategy which is help as many people for free at scale as you can that strategy will work yeah you're right yeah so if you if you but the tech the tactics might be now you got to go on tiktok to do it or instagram stories or it doesn't matter like that doesn't matter but if you find the place where your fish are all hanging Mm -hmm. around whether it's TikTok or Reddit or uh, LinkedIn groups or an IRC or Slack or wherever they are, go there and be helpful. And they might click on the link in your profile and go find out more about you. Can I give a real example of that? Please. Something, Something that I did. So I mentioned higher education a minute ago. So we won our first um, higher education client. Uh, I can't. I, can't, I won't bother with the years, but uh, uh, a long time ago. Um, and it was a university and we loved working with it. And we got really quite excited about the sector. We thought it was interesting. There was a lot to do. So with that particular client, I, I said to him, look, you know, where do you guys talk to one another? You know, what do, what books do you read? What forums do you go to? What yes. do you, conferences, that kind of stuff. Yes. And he was like, well, I don't really know. There is this mailing list I'm on called the IWMW mailing list. The what? The Institutional Web Managers Workshop mailing list. The most boring sounding thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I then tried to join it and I couldn't because I didn't have the uk equivalent of a edu domain name right so i wrote to the guy who ran it and he said very politely go away we don't let commercial people on it and i said well look i'm i'm just looking to learn about the sector i don't want to i don't want to sell i, I don't want to talk about my services i'm just trying to understand the sector better and he said well you can join it if you don't post right and you think well what's the point of doing that so, but I did it anyway because I did want to learn about the sector and understand it better because I was talking about niching down to that sector. So I joined it and sat on there and it wasn't long before somebody posted something that I thought I could help with. So I wrote out an email uh, offering advice, you know, and help on that issue. And I sent it to the guy who ran the list and he said, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and post it. So I did. And then that happened again. And again, and I kept offering advice and I kept sending it to the guy who ran the uh, list and he kept saying, yeah, that's fine. So in the end, he said, look, just stop annoying me, (laughs) right? You could post it as long as you don't sell. So that's all I did on the list was give good advice. And now eventually I discovered they also do a conference once a year right and i said can i speak at the conference and he said no because you're a commercial person but you can come so i went to the conference and i just hang out with everybody i gave a bit of advice i bought them alcohol you know (laughs) just took part and and built a reputation everybody liked me and you know that kind of stuff so the next year i said can i speak at the event and he said all right then as long as you don't sell (laughs) 
So I went along and I spoke at the event and I didn't sell and I didn't do it. And I keynoted, I ended up keynoting that every year for about 10 years. Right? Wow. Wow. Because uh, they came to like my content. I never once pushed my services. I didn't need to. They came to me. It was my, the way you push your service is by showing your expertise. Show, don't tell. Yeah, that's great. Wow, I, I had, I'm so glad that that went so far up, like, yeah. like went that was that was like a full rags to riches, like <laughs> success story of the way we, to do marketing. Yeah, and and we've done that. I've done that more than once. I did that in the heritage sector as well, and it, it, we that? got into a, a heritage sector. So that would be. Um, things like um, the National Trust. So people, areas of outstanding natural beauty, national parks, oh. old buildings, all of that kind of stuff, it, right? It, yep. uh, and we did it. It actually became problematic in that situation. We won something like 80 to 90% of every area of outstanding natural beauty in the country. We won everything. So it got to the point where people weren't hiring us simply because, oh, we can't hire Headscape. Everybody hires them. So that's when we moved on to HE because it was like, well, we, we've saturated the market. I don't know how to go any further here. So, and yeah, and, and I've done it again in other sectors as well. That's great. I, I had a similar story. It didn't go to, I gave up on it uh, for a variety of reasons that don't matter, but same kind of thing. I had a couple of clients in the credit union space and I was like, these folks are actually fun. They're like the hippies of banking. I, I dig them. <laughs> and and, and but there's no, they're just not online. They're just not the kind of people that are yeah. they're online. Some of you know the younger ones, but but credit union presidents were not hanging out on Facebook. So same thing. I asked around. Turned out there was a, a list serve of like I don't know 250 credit union presidents all asking each you know basically saying I need help with this. Do you know anybody? How do yeah. how do you guys deal with this regulation? Yeah. And I didn't say anything, but I'm like reading it and and. It, it was it was fascinating to me because it was almost it was almost like I was reading their inner thoughts. So then yeah. when I when I would talk to actually talk to someone, I would be so up to date mm -hmm. with what was going through their mind that I could almost read it. Yeah. You know, it's it was, you know, and I didn't end up keynoting well actually I I did end up getting speaking gigs, not directly from the list, but uh but anyway, I ended up st stopping that business anyway, like in the middle of that experiment. But it it was just like a, a dopey old listserv, ugly, you know, like huge, massive email chain, but just amazing, like um, painstorming, Amy Hoy would call it. It's just like you just like getting their innermost like like nightmares and worries and fears and mm -hmm. dreams and hopes and, and all of this emotionally charged kind of um, kind of stuff that you want to help and, with. And that's why like niching around an audience rather than around a deliverable. A lot of people, when they niche, they, they, they niche to a particular deliverable. I'm going to do Ruby on Rails or mm -hmm. whatever, right? And that's their thing. And, and that does work to a degree, depending on what the, the deliverable is, because, you know, obviously there are a lot of Rails communities and that kind of stuff. But there is something about niching to a sector where they, that group of people are talking and sharing and interacting with one another. Some sectors don't work because they're highly competitive. Yeah, plastic um, surgery. And, yeah, so, so they don't talk to one another. Mm. And, and then you've got a problem because you don't get that kind of echo chamber effect. But if you find a sector where they do, boy, does that, that the, the, the possibilities are endless because you get to see and understand their pain points and their goals. And you get... Also, the the word of mouth recommendation around the sector as well. Yeah, it's amazing. So we could probably talk for four hours, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, that we've kind been going for over an hour already, haven't we? <laughs> no way. Oh yeah, you're right. Holy mackerel. Yeah. So I should let you go. I'm probably late for a meeting or something. I thought we would. <laughs> um, but cool. This has been absolutely fabulous. We should keep in touch uh, more regularly than once every five years. Yeah, um, it, it so, does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, time flies. So tell people one more time where they should go to find out more about all things Paul Boag. So if you want to enter the Boag funnel, <laughs> um, you can go to you could go to boagworld.com, B-O-A-G world.com. 
Um, if you want to sign up to the newsletter, which to be honest, I, I you know have a look around the website, see if you like the content. But really, if if you want to follow me on any kind of long term stuff, then the newsletter is the way to go. Uh, that's boagworld.com forward slash subscribe. Um, hopefully you won't miss the massive call to action that I have plastered all over my website. But um, if you do, that's the URL you want. You can also follow me on Twitter if you're so inclined. I'm not very good on Twitter these days. I got so much abuse, I've kind of given up on it. But that's Boag World. Um, so yeah, have a look, see what you think and maybe give me a follow. Yeah, definitely check it out. Great stuff. Always great stuff. Love it. All right, Paul, thanks so much for joining us absolute pleasure thank you for having me all right folks that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and you can join me again next time on ditching hourly bye now hey jonathan again do you have questions about how to improve your business things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call. C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.